Hey, y'all, and welcome to SB Nation's College Ball Recruiting Podcast. I'm SB Nation's College Ball Recruiting Director, Bud Elliott, and we took this name quite simply because all the other creative names uh, were taken, so we made the obvious SEO play. If you're just joining us, this is a podcast for recruiting diehards primarily, but we do try to ask, ask and answer questions for your sort of more novice recruiting fan, uh, and I, I promise you, you won't get lost in the product if you're just a casual recruiting fan. As everybody knows, recruiting is the lifeblood of college football, and so you got to recruit if you want to win ball games. We usually start out the show talking about the commitments of the previous week, or in this case of the of September, because it's the first podcast that I've done in September, given that recruiting is really slow in early September. Two primary reasons for this. First, Kids are starting to play games again in high school, and thus they, they have t- trouble traveling, especially if they're playing Friday night ball games. Second, the games that they want to travel and visit typically are neutral site games, which is not a great opportunity to see and visit a campus. Also, if there are games being played on campus, a lot of times those games are being played against teams that just really aren't that good, and so it's not a great game uh, to go see. So not a whole lot of visiting goes on in early September for most games. Obviously, some local prospects will hit up some schools, but uh, it, it's a very slow time. And if you've not committed, oftentimes by you know by, by the end of summer, you are probably going to wait and, and hold off and then commit uh, after your senior season or perhaps a little bit later during your se- senior season. But that wasn't the case for three guys. Uh, first, Taquan Graham, a defensive end, I believe 6'5", 250-ish, uh, ended up committing to the Texas Longhorns. Charlie Strong has done a great job at Texas recruiting, really closed well the last couple of years. Obviously, Baylor uh, having a complete meltdown has helped them quite a bit as well, given that um, they were able to pick up several top prospects at the end of that class. And I think Texas' strong start on the field is helping them with recruits as well. I've spoken previous on this podcast that kids really want a reason for Texas, to, to, to believe in Texas, because they want to go to Texas a lot of times. But in recent years, they haven't had a whole lot of reason uh, to do that or to have faith that that, that staff is going to be there. Uh, but a 2-0 start from Texas, a nice win in overtime over Notre Dame, uh, and then coming back, and I believe it was uh, UTEP uh, or, or, or UTSA, one of the two. But Texas didn't screw around. They, they beat those guys, and I think they'll probably go out there and beat Cal this weekend, especially because Cal's run defense is terrible. So another top defensive player. For the Texas Longhorns in Taquan Graham, that's a nice get for Charlie Strong and his staff. The second four or five star commit of the uh, month so far, Ortre Smith. Ortre Smith, a big time wide receiver out of South Carolina, the number one player in the state of South Carolina. Was it going to be South Carolina? Was it going to be Georgia? Was it going to be a host of other elite level schools? Ultimately, I think playing time uh, and proximity. One out for the Gamecocks, the ability to be a feature receiver in that offense immediately is something that South Carolina can offer and something that, er- that programs early in their, their genesis under a new head coach, not just South Carolina, but all programs that are under a new head coach, absolutely have to be able to offer and have to learn. Smith is just a, an absolutely huge target, a, a, a massive kid who I think is going to be a major weapon in the red zone on third down. Big catch radius, not a guy that I think you're going to be able to knock off off his route. Uh, very strong, looks like a grown man already. Not the fastest guy, but it, it, he looks almost tight end-ish, but yet I think he has the ability 
to stay at receiver as long as you you ask him to do things that bigger receivers are, are typically good at doing. And I believe he plays within himself, which is a, a trait that I always look for when watching big receivers. Some big receivers feel like they are, are smaller than they are, and they feel like they have small man skills. And, and the facts are, they typically don't. I want big guys who know how to play big. In basketball terms, I'm not looking for centers who go outside and try and shoot three too much. I'd rather have you rebound, get some put-back dunks, play some defense. That, that type of, of skill set is really important. Ortray is the fifth four- and five-star kid uh, to commit to the Gamecocks, joining Jemias Williams, Hamza Nasruddin, obviously Smith, MJ Webb, and then also uh, Shai Smith and TJ Moore. Um, so actually I miscounted, and he's the sixth. That's a nice class Will Muschamp's putting together. South Carolina is able to sell playing time because Steve Spurrier did not do a good job recruiting in his final years on campus, uh, and they have a lot of positions that have a lot of holes and very little depth. So this is the the time period, and there are certain gen- there are certain time periods within a new coach's lifespan at the coach at, at at a certain school that allows you to sell different things. For instance, Butch Jones at Tennessee for a while has been selling playing time and a vision and a new new concept of Tennessee football. Later on, you're really required to start winning some ball games, which Tennessee has has not really done yet. They've made steady improvements. This is the year Tennessee is supposed to be getting over the hump. Right now, nobody expecting South Carolina to get over any hump. If they're able to beat East Carolina this weekend like they're barely favored to do, uh, then there's a, a good chance they could actually make a bowl game. Uh, they would need to, to essentially, uh, assuming they lose to Clemson, they would need to pick up two more SEC wins to grab three in-conference wins and three non-conference wins uh, with the Gamecocks, and that, that could put them in a bowl game, something I don't think many people, including myself, expected for South Carolina. Uh, but even if they don't make a bowl game, that playing time they're able to sell, that's not going away. South Carolina is still, I think, going to be a recruiting threat to be in that top 25 range, that top 20 range, throughout the season just because of the playing time they can sell and because Will Muschamp and his staff are dynamic recruiters. Next up in September, Georgia, DeAndre Swift, Philadelphia running back, really impressive prospect. Uh, he was bigger in person than, than I realized that he was. I, I had always saw, seen the numbers, and I didn't, I didn't necessarily know how true they were. Five foot nine, but 214 pounds is what he's listed at on a lot of the recruiting sites. And I think that's actually legit. He has a very large lower half, very powerful hips and thighs, but also some good wiggle. Uh, and, and I like his instincts as a running back. I know he's a top five national running back in a, in a year that I think is, is pretty good uh, for running backs nationally. And I'm, I'm quite impressed with DeAndre Swift. You know Georgia's going to run the football. They always have. And I think that will absolutely continue uh, with Kirby Smart as head coach and under uh, Sam Pittman, their offensive line coach, who I still think was one of the best hires of the offseason. Brett Belima has had such success with offensive linemen year after year at Wisconsin and Arkansas, and to steal his offensive line guru uh, and take him to Georgia, that's a huge move in Athens. I, I think DeAndre Swift is going to have a ball uh, running the football behind him. Um, and that's Georgia's class is really coming on. They are, uh, well, they got 15 commitments right now. 12 of the 15 commitments for Georgia are rated four or five stars. That is a tremendous ratio, and I, I think Georgia's going to keep adding to this thing. Uh, that is a, a loaded state for recruits. To get a back like that is really impressive to go along with Neil Carter, who's a little bit smaller. Um, 
you got to like what they're doing there. They're also, and I wrote about this earlier on SBNation.com a couple months ago, Georgia is really loading up with some big, big offensive linemen. You know, 319 pounds, Deontay Demery, who's actually slimmed down some. Andrew Thomas at 310, and Torrey Johnson at 348. They are trying to take that Bama model and be the Bama of the SEC East in terms of how they build their roster. Um, Will they be able to do it? Who knows? I I think there's a lot of components that go into what Bama does that maybe is not quite so easy to replicate. But so far, so good, at least from a recruiting perspective, for Kirby Smart and DeAndre Swift is just the latest uh, big pickup for them. So, yeah, only three blue-chip commitments so far in September. Uh, That will definitely be one of the uh, slowest months of the year. Moving on now, uh, we spoke about Houston previously on on another podcast, but this week, Houston, and particularly the Big 12, uh, was my primary focus of a big piece I wrote uh, entitled Houston's Impact on Big 12 Recruiting or or, or something like that. I don't necessarily have the piece in front of me right now. Um, The Big 12 is not off to a good year. There are, I believe, five and seven against FBS teams as of Thursday evening. They... I think only three of the 10 teams in the league is without a loss. Uh, That's uh, by far the worst of the Power Five conferences. You've already seen their their two favorites uh, suffer upset losses, Oklahoma losing to Houston and TCU losing to Arkansas. And thus the chatter about recruiting and Big 12 expansion has only intensified. And and so I, I took a look at Houston from a couple of different angles as a potential Big 12 expansion candidate. First, uh, Houston's own recruiting would certainly improve a lot in the Big 12. Uh, They already do a good job recruiting. Houston is the best non-Power 5 recruiter out there, or put in other terms, the best group of five recruiter. But for a certain number of kids, not being in a Power 5 conference, not really having a, a great shot to play for the national title or to win a bunch of awards, not to play in as many marquee games, those are hurdles that are just impossible to overcome for some kids that Houston would certainly like to sign. So if Houston was able to join the Big 12, assuming that they were able to keep coach Tom Herman, and I know he has that $5 million payout that's triggered if they do get in the Big 12, and assuming that they would continue to upgrade their facilities like they have, and, and from speaking with folks, it seems like Houston is on the way to having some really nice facilities, then I think Houston's recruiting could improve significantly once it joined the Big 12. And I think they could very quickly have a top five uh, type program in the Big 12 because of that recruiting, because they, they are in the Houston metro area in, in, in Harris County, Texas. Uh, that's that's a big time talent region. I mean, LSU goes there, A&M goes there, Texas goes there. And that was my next point. I think the impact on the league's two best teams and the best programs, Houston and Oklahoma, or excuse me, Texas and Oklahoma, and yes, I, I realize how silly this sounds talking about Oklahoma, given the tech or given that Houston just beat them, but that the league's two best programs would not be affected as much by Houston joining the, the conference, I think, is, is a big deal because if you're the Big Twelve, what you what you're trying to do is produce more elite teams as opposed to just a bunch of very good teams that end up all playing each other, beating each other up, hanging losses on each other. Uh, Houston, in effect, if it comes in could sort of replace Baylor's recruiting because Baylor's on a major downswing right now on a recruiting trail. But it's more likely that Houston would take recruits, not necessarily from Texas and Oklahoma, although I'm sure they would win a couple battles, 
Uh, but from TCU, from Texas Tech, from Oklahoma State, from programs like that, uh, from, from Kansas State, Houston, I think, has the ability to really uh, intimidate and give those type programs in the Big 12 some trouble. So, in fact, if and I, I put this hypothesis forth in the article, but if Houston weakened the sort of second-tier teams in the Big 12, even though they might take a little bit of talent from Texas and Oklahoma, that could actually help Texas and Oklahoma more in the long term because it would increase the odds that either Texas or Oklahoma gets through the season with only one loss because those second-tier teams, the talent is a little bit more diluted across the board. Now, Mike Gundy actually spoke about this, the Oklahoma State coach. And speaking to the Tulsa world, he said this, the concern is, and where that comment is coming from, if, if you're north, is if your northern schools put a, put a southern school at another school in Texas in the same league, that essentially is going to pull recruits from all of us, Gundy said. That's what it comes down to. Anyone that's not in Texas will have a more difficult time recruiting Texas if another Texas school gets in this league, he reiterated. And finally, your Texas high schools and your Texas high school coaches, they're tight, Gundy said. That's a tight-knit group down there. They're always going to accommodate us, but a percentage of them would just as soon a kid go to a Texas school before they leave and go to any school outside the state of Texas. That's a very real concern if you're Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State. It's also a very real concern of Texas Tech, who Cliff Kingsbury, their head coach, recently spoke out and maybe indicated he didn't want uh, Houston in the league. I also believe that TCU feels that way somewhat, although they really try to focus more on recruiting Dallas uh, than Houston. But it's not like they don't recruit Houston at all. Uh, I thought Gundy's comments were extremely candid in this matter. You typically don't hear those type of self-interested, but obviously self-interested comments from coaches. A lot of times they try to couch it in some for the betterment of the game rhetoric uh, that that is not not that tough to see through, but still interesting nonetheless. Those schools have got to be scared, recruiting-wise, if Houston comes in. And I know the decision to expand will not be about recruiting. It'll be about uh, eyeballs on TV sets, league stability, the practicality of, of a league championship game with, with 12 teams, the money that could bring in. But recruiting, I think, could be a small part of it. And if Houston comes in, I do think that your, your non-Texas schools especially are, are going to be worried. What I don't expect, and, and you can read this in, in, in the piece on SBNation.com, just click the recruiting tab at the top of the page. I don't expect Houston to come in and compete like Texas and Oklahoma. We've seen time and again, there's an adjustment period when teams step up in competition. When, when West Virginia joined the Big 12, things didn't go real well. When TCU joined the Big 12, initially, things did not go real well. Now, they bounced back. They adjusted. But it took some time. I don't think Houston's going to be a legitimate threat to Texas and Oklahoma if it does join that league for a while at least until it really gets its feet under it as a a Big 12 conference member. There's a difference between playing, even if you don't think the Big 12 is a great league, and I don't, there's a difference between playing Power 5 competition every week rather than gearing up to play one or two tough games a year and the rest of the time facing the AAC, which is what Houston's currently able to do. Anyway, if you're interested in in this topic, and I I also go on in the piece to discuss Texas and Oklahoma and the need for them to play to their talent level, whether Oklahoma was a true national title contender given its talent level anyhow, which is I think there's some debate 
about that. If they weren't, then they were certainly the top contender among the non-elite recruiters. Uh, Texas is off to a strong start, so it looks like they may be starting to play to their talent level. But if Oklahoma keeps recruiting really well and Texas keeps coaching better like they are under Charlie Strong, it looks like they finally have a staff that gets along and that trusts each other. Granted, the sample size is only two games, but then I think there's a, a realistic chance that the Big 12 can make a resurgence whether or not it expands because what it really needs is just its two top teams to play to their level. And this is kind of analogous to what we saw in the ACC in the latter part of the aughts, right? You had Virginia Tech playing Boston College quite often for the ACC title. And there's nothing wrong with Virginia Tech but at the same time, they're not a national power type program. If they're the best team in your league, that's not a good sign because that means that teams or programs rather that have the truly highest ceilings are underachieving. When TCU's went in the Big 12, that's good for TCU. It's not good for the Big 12 because that means Texas and Oklahoma are underachieving. They have the ability to reach a level that other schools in the Big 12 simply do not. That doesn't mean they always play that. We've certainly seen that. But there's this idea of, of ceiling. And Texas and Oklahoma certainly have a higher ceiling than everybody else in that league. We've seen with the ACC now, the schools that spend the most money and are most financially dedicated and really care about winning, that'd be Clemson and Florida State, when they're on top now, that league gets a lot more respect. Imagine if TCU was clearly the third best team in the Big 12. That would garner a lot of respect for the Big 12. TCU is a, a quite formidable program if they're the third best in the league. If Texas and Oklahoma can step up, Oklahoma can keep recruiting well, the Big 12 is going to get more respect, and then you add Houston to the mix potentially if that happens. Heck, if Houston's your fourth or fifth or perhaps third best program, that's a pretty good league. All right, now let's turn to some listener-suggested topics. We always ask for questions on Twitter. Um, and I usually turn those in, into topics because I feel like topics are easier to discuss than just direct questions. Sometimes the questions are, are great. Sometimes they're a little bit something I, I need to twist around a little bit. So if you submitted the topic, certainly appreciate it. You can always do that on Twitter at SBN Recruiting. I'm on there all the time. Try to respond to as many requests as possible. Again, that's at SBN, like SB Nation, Recruiting. Make sure to follow me. I'll try to hit you back. First topic here is Army recruiting. Army is actually off to a 2-0 start. They're favored this weekend, I believe, over uh, Tulane. Army could get off potentially to a 3-0 start. Our own Stephen Godfrey wrote a great piece on Army's renaissance. That, that coaching staff there is doing a great job. And the question that, that I got centered around, can, can, can Army's hot start and can Army's improvement help it recruit better? And the answer is absolutely yes, it can. Now, you have to understand that Army has a very limited focus in its recruiting. You have to have guys who have strong academics. They don't take a whole lot of folks at Army football who are, are sketchy academically because that, that's, that's West Point. You have to have guys who fit a certain uh, toughness profile because there's a lot of physical training that goes with this that some teams perhaps don't do and, and some non-football style training. And then you have to have guys who are willing to go into the armed forces, which is not everybody. And certainly a lot of respect to the troops who, who are willing to do so. And if you are listening to this and are a service member, we very much appreciate your service. The fourth thing you have to have with Army, and Army more so than the other two service academies, 
is they have very strict requirements for what you can be size-wise because certain big guys just cannot do these more longer-distance endurance-type conditioning requirements that the Army has. So that's why, Arm, that's why Army typically loses to Navy and typically loses to the Air Force because they do have different requirements for the size of players. And Army typically is at a disadvantage on the line of scrimmage. However, there are some players that they that they, all three service academies compete for, and some of your smaller schools as well that run flexbone-type systems because they want those athletic linemen. I really think that if Army continues to win ball games, and I, I don't know if they're going to go to a bowl, I don't know if they're going to um, you know, do anything more than that, but they are already improved over the last couple of years, and the results are very easy to see on the field. If Army starts improving like this, I really believe it'll give them more of a puncher's chance in recruiting battles against the Navy and in recruiting battles against the Air Force for the players that actually fit Army's mold. Now, it doesn't mean that Army's going to change it up and, and start taking kids who don't fit their mold, uh, but this coaching staff deserves a, a heck of a lot of credit, and I do believe that Army's recruiting uh, could improve. And I think that's the first time that we've actually had an Army-focused recruiting question on the podcast, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but yes, there is room for Army to go up in recruiting. They can get more talent, but it's limited because they, they still have those such strict requirements for who they can take. Our next topic comes to us from Twitter as well, uh, and the listener writes, we know about Florida and California and Texas, but after that, what state is really on the come up in recruiting in the last couple of years? What, what state has improved its talent the most? And the answer here, I think if you're a serious recruiting diehard, it's probably pretty obvious, but if you're not, I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway, and then I'm going to talk about it. It's Georgia. And I think Georgia, if you look at it, really coincides nicely with the rise of the SEC over the last uh, 10 to 12 years. In fact, I just looked this up. Do you know how many D1-type players, and, and I'm going to define that as three-star or better. Certainly there are a lot of two-stars that go D1 as well, but but three-star or better-type players there are in Georgia. In the 2016 recruiting class, according to 247 Sports, there were 194. That's a tremendous number. That's actually closer to those top three states, California, Florida, Texas, in some order, than it is to the number five state. We are very close, I think, as a recruiting industry to scrapping the term big three and start using the term big four. If you're Kirby Smart, you got to love this. If you're Dabo Swinney, a school that sits there on the border with Georgia, you're a pretty big fan of this. If you're Auburn, you border Georgia as well. Bama, same thing. Florida State down there. Tennessee to the north. I'm not trying to just recite all the, the states that are close to Georgia, but I just did. That's a great thing for you. And I could see there come a time where if certain states start playing less football, Georgia could actually move up into the top three and say, I don't know, California, uh, a state with some sometimes uh, sort of more extreme laws. Maybe they ban football or something in, in the future. And Georgia's still playing ball. Or maybe people in California decide not to have their kids play football as much, and Georgia still is. I could easily see Georgia overtaking California in terms of talent output within the next decade or so, maybe maybe the next two decades. That's certainly possible. It's Georgia, and it has fed the SEC East, or excuse me, the SEC for a while now, and not just the SEC East. Kids from Georgia are going all over the country. In fact, 
of the top 20 kids in Georgia last year, nine different schools signed one of those players. That's great diversity in recruiting. It really shows how, how much Georgia provides to the whole country. That, that's a major talent producer. That's a good question. Uh, I may actually write a feature on that at some point. Received a couple questions actually about LSU recruiting under Les Miles. What happens if Les Miles is fired? Uh, honestly, LSU is still recruiting tremendously because recruiting is about relationships. And kids are, for the most part, going to believe the coach when, when that coach tells them, hey, my job is safe. Would I be out here recruiting you if it wasn't? No, I would not. At the same time, LSU suffered a, a just completely crushing loss to Wisconsin to open the season. And that, that was terrible. LSU should never lose to a team like Wisconsin, even if the game is in Green Bay. The talent disadvantage there is pretty extreme. And it was some poor coaching and, and some uh, some poor kind of square peg in a round hole with Brandon Harris again trying to operate in a pro-style offense. And it, it's very clear if you want to run a pro-style offense in college football, you have got to have a great quarterback coach. So far, it doesn't necessarily look like Cam Cameron is a great quarterback coach at the college level, which is very different than the NFL. But if LSU fires less miles, it's going to go out there and get whatever head coach it wants pretty much, whether that's Jimbo Fisher, whether that's Tom Herman, whether that, that's Brom from Louisville. Um, hell, maybe it's Dan Mullen, the guy that, that LSU's playing this weekend, 7 o'clock in Eastern time in Death Valley. I don't know. But LSU is such an attractive job because you get the entire state to yourself from a, a Power 5 recruiting standpoint. La Tech, Lafayette, Monroe, Tulane, those schools are not threats to LSU. And there's a great symbiotic relationship within that state between those schools, kind of an unspoken rule uh, relationship, not something that's necessarily published all that much. That is a tremendous recruiting advantage if you don't have any other Power 5 schools in your state because everybody pretty much roots for one of the group of five schools, if they're close there, plus LSU. It's not like in Alabama where people root for Alabama or Auburn, right? In LSU, it's almost entirely LSU fans in that state, and they kind of have a secondary fandom. And kids grow up with that. Kids grow up wanting to go to LSU, and there's a ton of talent in Louisiana. Not to mention, you're able to recruit the Mobile, Alabama area. You're able to recruit uh, East Texas very well, including Houston. That's a prime job. If Les Miles were to be fired, and I don't know that he should be necessarily, but if, if they continue to drop games to lesser talented teams, then obviously you got to do something. If he was to be fired, I think LSU's recruiting would honestly be just fine. Now, they would probably lose a couple kids because the new coaching staff would have limited time to establish relationships, and that's certainly understandable. But I don't think it would dip all that much. Right now, they're number three in the country with 10 blue chips and, and, and 10 three stars. That's a great start to the 2017 recruiting class. They're in line to get a bunch more top kids uh, if, they can, if they can swing them. That's a big deal. And LSU, I feel like there's just certain programs that you almost have to try to be bad at, right? Like Will Muschamp was so bad at Florida that it was real obvious he had to go. You should never go 4-8 and eight at Florida under any circumstance. And he did. And then he had a couple games where, or a couple other seasons where he, where he lost five or six games. That 
that's just terrible. At LSU, the chances are that you're going to make a pretty good hire. And we can go back and we can say, look at LSU before Saban. They were nothing. That's true. But Nick Saban fundamentally changed that program from a financial commitment and commitment to winning standpoint. LSU now ponies up the money pretty much for whatever it needs to do to win, be that facilities or staff or coaching, whatever. They do it. They're not looking to backslide back to the pre-Nick Saban days there at LSU. Um, and you can argue that that they're not as good under Les Miles as they were under Saban. I think that's a fair argument, but Saban's also the best coach in my lifetime and and maybe since World War II. So the chances are LSU's going to make a really good hire if they do have to make a hire and that their recruiting will still be really good. You just got to work on some of those short-term relationships that you have to build before signing day. If that hire were to happen, it would probably happen sometime in December. So you'd have about six weeks before National Signing Day to establish those relationships. Assuming that you're coming from a program out of region. If you're in region, you've likely already been recruiting these kids to the school you were at. And so you, you have a, a jump on those relationships. Twitter user asks, uh, can you identify a team that's trending up on the recruiting trail and a team that's trending down? Sure can. For the trending up team, I'm going to go with the Florida Gators. Florida picked up six commitments in the month of August. Now, granted, one of them was a decommitment who ended up recommitting uh, about a day later in running back our Darius Lemons. But they got Fred Hansard out of New Jersey, a four-star defensive tackle. They landed four-star corner Marco Wilson, who's a tremendous athlete, coming off an ACL tear. Looked really good when I got to see him at the opening. Promising recruit there. The younger brother, of course, of Quincy Wilson whose dad, Chad, played for the Miami Hurricanes and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Quincy's currently a, a, a superstar member of Florida Secondary. Also have Kimor uh, Gamble tied in there. Excuse me, not Kimor not Gamble. I, I was thinking of, of a different Miami Southridge kid. Sean Davis did commit in late August, another corner for Florida Secondary. And then Zach Burke, uh, a, a tight end out of Millbrook, Alabama, who I think the staff believes has great upside, pretty raw, but but has has quite a bit of potential there as he continues to fill out his frame, could be a nice pass catcher for Jim McElwain. Florida is now up to 14th in the recruiting rankings. Uh, at one point, they had a class of almost all three stars, and now they're actually 50-50, eight four stars, eight three stars, much closer to the ratio you want. Uh, Florida has not recruited at a super elite level in the last two seasons. They've recruited more just at a good to very good level. If they're getting back to the super elite level, I think that'll make Florida fans very happy. And it looks like so far that they are. I actually have several teams uh, that I could highlight for the falling category. Uh, Tennessee, which has 24 commitments, is is falling a little bit as other teams pick up commitments uh, in July and in August. And that's basically just because you only have limited room. And these recruiting rankings early on are sort of formatted to produce some wonky results in that the number of recruits you sign ultimately kind of evens out around signing day. Most people sign, most teams sign between, let's say, 20 and, and 23. Some will sign 25. Some will sign 28. Uh, hey, Alabama. But most of them are going to sign kind of a fairly standard number of recruits. But early on, the number of commitments in a class really varies quite a bit. So the effect is that early on, you end up seeing some schools very high in the recruiting rankings based on quantity and not quality. And I'm not trying to say 
that Tennessee's class lacks quality, but compared to some of its other recruiting rivals, it does. They were that high in recruiting rankings, the top five, I believe, at one point, based on the number of commitments they had and not necessarily based on the number of elite commitments they had. If Tennessee has the season that their fans think they're going to have, I believe Tennessee will probably purge some of those commitments from its class and end up taking some more studs that they can get in on that maybe they're not currently in on right now. Two other schools that I think is worth looking at who are kind of dropping down a little bit in the recruiting rankings just because of, the again, the quantity versus quality. As other teams match the the quantity and their quality is higher, they move up. The teams that loaded up on quantity but not quality early, they move down. Two teams that kind of fit that mold, Arizona and Mississippi State. Teams that oftentimes get out to a big-time recruiting start, and then they find their level. They're still doing a fine job in recruiting relative to their program's resources. And I think both are overachievers, but they're not top 10 type classes like perhaps they were on some recruiting websites earlier in the summer. Got a really interesting question here that I might actually save for a written piece, but I do want to acknowledge it. And the question is, how would you recruit if you were a coach at Baylor or Ole Miss now? That's something I kind of want to think about and probably sketch out and and discuss some of the concerns. And it might be something that I would do uh, partnered with my, my friend Stephen Godfrey at SB Nation. So uh, I really appreciate the idea. I might take and put that in a written form. But again, thank you for the question. Next question here. The top Florida 2018 defensive backs. So we're talking current high school juniors and the possible landing landing spots for them. All right, the first name on this list has to be Tyreek Johnson, uh, the younger brother and absolute superstar, uh, younger brother of DeAndre Johnson, the former Florida State signee who uh, was booted from Florida State after he uh, punched a girl in the face in a bar, uh, booted immediately, is now playing at East Mississippi Junior College. I do not believe that Johnson will go to Florida State. Like I know, I guess some people still do. I think that's very outdated information. I think that he will likely end up somewhere in the SEC, be that Alabama or Georgia or Florida. The interesting question to me is going to be whether he's a package deal with his brother because his brother is going to be in the class of 2018, uh, I I believe. If Johnson is able to to package that with his brother, I don't know, I think that'd be interesting to see if if they end up going to the same school. It's not something that they necessarily expressly stated, but I do think it's something interesting. And and would a school take DeAndre Johnson – in order to to get Tyreek Johnson. Tyreek Johnson, arguably the number one uh, defensive back in the country for the class of 2018, a, a tremendous prospect. I mean, over six foot one, probably 190 plus at least, um, but yet has the ability, I think, to stay at corner in some schemes. So probably an SEC school there. I'm not really sure which one yet. And I'm going to have some uncertainty in all these picks. Because we're talking about high school juniors, and they still have, what, 18 months before they sign? That's that's a whole lot of time. Next is Pat Sertan Jr., uh, obviously from the American Heritage School down there in Fort Lauderdale. If the name rings a bell, it, it should. Uh, his dad was a, a superstar in the NFL for a while. A lot of people think LSU, due to the DBU connection uh, and, and Corey's connection down there uh, with, with LSU in South Florida, but... I think you also have to look out perhaps for Alabama, perhaps for uh, Florida State, perhaps for Florida. 
and perhaps for Georgia. I think if I had to put money on it, and not that I would ever put money on where a high school kid is going, but I think those five schools are probably the biggest threats with maybe some shot of Miami if Miami really starts to turn things around uh, very quickly. Another truly elite prospect, I mean, a guy that was out of the opening and didn't look like 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 he was out of place. I mean, a really impressive kid, even among guys who were a full year older than him. Next is uh, Al Blades Jr., who's at Aquinas. Obviously, his dad, another former former pro player. Um, I think Miami is probably in, in the driver's seat. Now, I know he's visited Florida State a couple times uh, and does like Jimbo Fisher. I've, I've actually seen Jimbo Fisher interacting with him in person before, and they seem like, they, like they're, they enjoy it and they have a good time. But ultimately, I, I believe Miami will be able to keep this legacy in its own backyard. And that would be a great get for Mark Rick, I mean, a, a player who I think could step in and play fairly early for the Hurricanes. Uh, Josh Job, another really talented defensive back, Miami Columbus. Uh, a little bit overaged for his class, according to his 247 sports profile. Says 18 years, five months for a kid who's in his junior year. That's interesting, but he's already committed to Miami. Uh, probably could end up at safety, but I, maybe some schemes could play some corner. Another very talented guy. South Florida is just absolutely loaded for 2018 defensive backs, but we can pretty much say that for every year. And then finally, Tyson Campbell, who's another American Heritage DB, six foot two. American Heritage secondary looks like a college secondary if you go over there. It is just they're loaded, they're well coached, extremely long. I have no idea where, where he's going to go at this point, but that's certainly a name to know, Tyson Campbell. And according to his 247 Sports uh, profile, he's actually uh, a little bit underage, perhaps, for a player in his junior year, just 16 years, six months. And I think that's an important thing to, to look at as an evaluator of talent. I know I listen to a lot of baseball podcasts, and they, they talk a whole lot about evaluating prospects. Is the guy you know, old for double A. Is he old for single A? He's way too old to be playing a rookie ball. They take that into consideration a lot. I think in the coming years, hopefully that gets taken into consideration more in college football scouting because I do think it matters that the the year that you're going to grow the most is the youngest possible year, right? You're going to grow more between 15 and 16, perhaps, than you will between 16 and 17. And you're probably going to grow more between 18 and 19 than you will between, say, 21 and 22. Final question we'll end on today is about Louisville's recruiting ceiling. Louisville, traditionally a top 35 type recruiting team. That means they're in the top half of the Power Five, uh, but not an elite recruiting team. However, Louisville does a couple things really well. And I've been asked questions about this, uh, particularly by Florida State fans this week. First, I think Louisville does a great job identifying players who are high-ceiling guys, regardless of floor. They do have some players who are just not going to work out. and and But I think the ceiling of the guys they sign is consistently very high, which puts a lot of stress on that coaching staff, uh, not stress, but, but pressure and impetus on that coaching staff to develop that talent. Now, the difference between, let's say, a player that Louisville signs and a player that maybe is signed by, I don't know, LSU, is that I think the LSU player on average has a higher floor. You're probably going to get a better average product out of that player than you are against Louisville. But both schools will certainly produce superstars and draft picks. We saw a couple years ago in that, that game with, with the epic Jameis Winston comeback for Florida State, 
Uh, Florida State had, I think, 11 NFL picks on the field in that draft, and Louisville had 10. So Louisville is very much capable of producing superstars, and they do a good job of recruiting to a very high potential. That's also pretty risky because if you have a year where you have a lot of busts because kids have low floors, then then you're in potentially a world of trouble and you could lose five, six games, even in a league like the ACC. They also have a coach in Bobby Petrino who is just a quarterback whisperer, uh, part of what I believe is the best quarterback coaching conference in the country with Mark Richt and Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino and David Cutcliffe, who has a great reputation with quarterbacks. And there's a couple more coaches in that league who also do a really good job developing the quarterback position, which is the ultimate equalizer of a position. So how much can Louisville move up? I think if Louisville starts to win more consistently 9, 10 games a year than the 7, 8, 9 that that they've won perhaps in recent years, they can really make make a nice run at at, at moving up in the recruiting rankings. And I believe that Louisville can become a, a consistent top 25, maybe even consistent top 20 recruiting team. They invest a whole lot in facilities. They pay their coaches well. They're clearly committed all in to steal Clemson's term in recruiting. They also, they seem to get kids qualified academically who are perhaps questionable better than almost any other major program in the country. And that is really important because there are some really talented kids out there who some programs will pass on because they do not have the academics to likely qualify for another school. Louisville's roster, and this is not recruiting, but they also seem very willing to accept almost any uh, form of transfer out there. You know, Devontae Fields, who was kicked out of TCU, is now one of, one of Louisville's you know, best pass rushers. They have two important members of the secondary who used to be on, on Georgia's squad before, uh, before some trouble hit. So Louisville's done a great job building his roster. They're a very formidable team, and I do believe that that they can continue to improve in recruiting once teams believe that they are, are truly a legit place to go. And I, I tell you what, having Bridgewater and then Lamar Jackson relatively back-to-back, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a big deal, especially in South Florida, because Teddy's from Miami Northwestern and Lamar's from uh, you know Boynton Beach area. That's a really big deal. I think kids are going to see that. They're going to like Louisville. They're going to continue to make Louisville improve as a recruiter. And, you know, the ACC has got to be in love with this because they already have Florida State and Clemson in that division. They have a Miami program that they think is on the right track. North Carolina just won uh, double-digit games last year. People think Virginia Tech is on the way back up. That's a a pretty formidable league right there, especially if Louisville keeps doing a great job. That's it for this week. I'm going to try and do this weekly now. Uh, Hopefully some more kids will commit so we have a little more to discuss on the front end of the podcast, as always, if you have questions, hit me up on Twitter. That's at SBN Recruiting, SBN, like SB Nation, Recruiting on Twitter. Also, just go to SBNation.com and click on the Recruiting tab at the top to find all my work. Also, do my Thursday Gambling Picks column, which uh, is off to a terrible start after being pretty decent in previous years. Hopefully, that luck turns around. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, which will hopefully be on soon on iTunes, Stitcher, um, Google Play Music, all those podcast apps. Uh, go ahead and share it with your friends and, uh, and and give me some feedback. Hope everybody has a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon.